Hello, my name is Xavier Mercado, and this is Spearhead Conversations. Hello, my name is Xavier Mercado, and this is Spearhead Conversations. Today, I am with Jason Abraham of Hupe and Abraham Law Offices. If you grew up in Milwaukee, you've heard the ads and you've seen the commercials. If you're not making the connection, let me uh, let me uh, remind you. Hupe and Abraham has been voted best by the public year after year. Now... Top media outlets have rated them best personal injury law firm. You only have one opportunity to call the best. Hupy and Abraham. I got almost $4 million. 800000 If you've been injured in an accident, tell them you mean business. Call Hupy and Abraham, 800-800-5678, and get their win or it's free guarantee. With that being said, I am blessed. I am honored to have this man in front of me. So without further ado, how you doing, Jason? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Xavier. Since you called me and told me that I may be on your podcast, I've been super excited, and today's the day, and I'm just so happy to be here and help support your mission. I've listened to your stuff. You're doing an amazing job, and I'm I'm just so flattered and excited to be here. Oh, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, this is... This is for Milwaukee, and um, I, if I'm not mistaken, you're from Milwaukee? I am. I'm born and raised here. So oh, uh, I grew up in Whitefish Bay until my parents got divorced and then hopped around, ended up going to high school in Germantown, and then I went to undergraduate at Madison and then law school at Marquette, and I've been in Milwaukee my whole life and then served this community uh, as a lawyer for over the last 30 years. So. Wow. I am definitely Milwaukee. Yeah, but you know that's the that's the sole purpose. Um, it, we're such a, a small city as they put us, but really we're we're really not. We're I I, I the sense of pride that's here. I just that's really what I want to show. So I'm I'm grateful for you coming on, and um, you know let's put on for Milwaukee. Love it. Happy to do it. Excited to do it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump in. We're gonna. I know you just gave a brief summary, but we're we're gonna ask those questions, and and you could go more in depth. Perfect. All right. Sounds good. Yes. All right. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in Whitefish Bay. Um, my grandparents actually built a home there, one of the first homes in Whitefish Bay. And so, as a little kid, I was running around that community. And as I said, my parents ultimately got divorced when my brother and I were quite young. I think I was four and a half years old. And then uh, as a single mom, my mom uh, stayed in that area, the Whitefish Bay Shoreward area for a while. And then we kind of hopped around a lot as a kid. I ended up going from Whitefish Bay, Shorewood, Menominee Falls, Brookfield, uh, and then ultimately settled in Germantown, where I started in sixth grade and then went all the way through high school. And then I, I loved Wisconsin. I loved everything about it. I thought it was just a great place to be. And I thought UW-Madison had everything that I was looking for yeah. as a college. I was super stoked. I got in, and I made that uh, my home from 1985 till 89. I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little kid because oh, wow. my grandfather and father were both lawyers. They don't do what I do, wow. but they were lawyers. So yeah. I didn't really know what that meant, but since they were lawyers, I thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So from from as long as I can remember, I said I was going to be a lawyer, and, and I followed that dream even though I, I really didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And it meant something different to me than it meant to them, and, and that's usually the way it is because there's so many different areas. And so at Madison, I majored in psychology because I knew from talking to other lawyers that it didn't matter what you majored in. It just mattered how good your grades were. And then you had to take a standardized LSAT test to get into law school. And those were the only two things that mattered. So I graduated in four years, uh, took the LSAT, then applied to Marquette and some other schools. And when I got into Marquette, I knew since I was I wanted to stay in this area yeah. that I went right to Marquette in uh, 89, graduated in 92. And uh, then I was off and running as a young, hungry lawyer that thought he knew everything, but in reality knew nothing. Yeah. Okay, man. 
Well, um, still focusing on your, your, your childhood, a lot of traveling, you said. Yeah, a lot of traveling. You know, that was a little hard as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, having to co- consistently make new friends, go to new places. But, you know, that's one of the, uh, the pitfalls of coming from a broken home. Yeah. And uh, part of what makes you stronger and makes you understand, you know, harder things about life. I think we all have stuff yeah. that we've gone through, and, you know, sometimes the harder stuff is what shapes us uh, and builds character that we mm-hmm. then take with us and follow through throughout our life that helps us make a bigger difference. I and, can relate to you as far as the broken home. Yeah, it's know. hard. Um, it, it is. It's, it's challenging, uh, single mother, um, but uh, did the, the greatest job she could do, and, I mean, I'm here. I'm a testament of her. So um, I feel the same. You know, um, thank God for mothers. Thank God for mothers. <laughs> <laughs> so through all that traveling, what were your hobbies? I was the biggest hobby for me was sports. I, w- I was a huge sports kid. I played football, basketball, baseball, and tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, back when uh, I was younger. I'm 55 now, so I'm kind of a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, <laughs> we played lots of sports. You know, now kids. My daughter's 23, and she was big into sports. And, you know, in this time frame, they want kids to specialize, which I personally think is a mistake. But, you know, me and my friends, we just went from one sport to the next to the next to the next. And and that's what I did growing up. My summers were filled with sports from the time I got up till the time I went to bed. In school, it was the same. And so for me, it was just everything about athletics. Yeah. I, I, you know, growing up for me, it was like we got a little spice of everything. We being outside on our bikes to the first Mac computers coming out um, into just the full blown technology we have today. Yeah, um, it's it's crazy because, you know, through through our lifespans, you see so much change and so much evolves through that. um I don't think I could ever leave Wisconsin because I I I, I know in my head I I tell myself I need all four seasons. That's yeah. just the given. But um, it was real awesome growing up out here. Yeah, I I loved it. I think it's a a great place to grow up. It was a great place for me to raise my daughter. Um, she, as I just said, she's twenty three. She graduated from Indiana. Well, about congrats. A year ago. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And she we relocated her. And uh, her boyfriend in Dallas, where she has a really good job doing digital marketing. Yeah. And I ultimately think that they'll come back here. Her boyfriend's from here. They were high school sweethearts and have been together for seven years. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, we're super excited that uh, they're going to be taking that relationship, I think, to the next level, which is exciting for me, being my only child. Yeah. She and I are super, super, super tight. But growing up for me... We didn't have the social media, yeah. the computer, the cell phones when I was in college were just getting going. I carried a, <laughs> a huge spaceship-looking thing, yeah. and I had one in a bag, and it was crazy. And you had to hardwire them in your, in your car back then. But, you know, without all that social media pres- pressure... Mm-hmm. You know, we just enjoyed the outside. We'd enjoyed our friends. We played sports. We got to know people. We could communicate. For sure. It's a totally different world out it there is. now. When when my daughter was growing up, we had the first boy-girl party at our house. I think she was in <laughs> seventh grade. And the thing that was shocking to me is I'm out there with the kids and watching what's going on. I'm seeing them texting each other. Yep. And they're standing five feet apart, and they're not talking. And it was at that moment, you know, I really could see the diff- the generational difference. The gap. And I think I see that carry forward as an employer now of 175 people throughout the Midwest. Well, you know, you just see, yeah, well, a lot of luck and timing and hard work of others. I've got just great staff. Um, but you see the lack of an ability really to carry on conversations and socialize yep. and the fear about that. And it. It's just a whole different world that I have trouble wrap, wrapping my head around. Yeah. So you went uh, to Wisconsin and um, you studied psychology. I did. What, yeah. What sparked that? You know, I knew uh, when I was going to undergrad that I just needed to pick a major that I enjoyed, that I would get good grades in because it didn't matter. A lot of times kids that are going to go to law school think they have to pick a legal undergraduate major and you really don't. So my freshman year, I took a psychology course, and I just found it really interesting. So I picked that because I knew that uh, 
since I found it interesting, it would probably be easier to get good grades in, and it was. And ultimately, because I'm a personal injury lawyer and I deal with people all day long, I think without even thinking it through, it's really helped me in my career for picking juries, trying to to be able to, and on the fly, get a flavor for what people may be thinking, the way they lean, their interests, because all that comes into play when you're a trial lawyer and you're in the courtroom and you're trying to impress 12 jurors to vote the way you want them to vote. So there's a lot of that nuance that I yep. learned in undergraduate, not even thinking that was the reason for the major, yeah. just thinking I found it enjoyable. But I, I really think ultimately it's it's helped me in my career as well. So I, I guess I uh, killed two birds with one stone by that's, picking psychology. That's awesome. So you also went to Marquette. I did. And that was during, uh, you know, with the, the recent uh, – Netflix came out with a, a Jeffrey Dahmer story. Finally. Yeah, that was that was around that time, which is which is crazy. I didn't live on campus. I actually lived at home back then. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if you're in Milwaukee now and you're on uh, the highway system, you see this grandiose law school building that Marquette has built, and it it really is a a really good looking building that is very impressive in Milwaukee yeah. as you're in the interchange with 43, 94, 794, you see this beautiful law school building. Well, unfortunately, when I was at Marquette, the law school was an absolute dump. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> small, old building and yeah. old facilities. And um, But although I really felt the... Uh, I enjoyed the undergraduate experience more. Yeah. You know, I'm super grateful for Marquette. And uh, I, I had a, a great law school experience I went right from undergraduate to law school. A lot of people that attend law school take some time off. And I think the the people that take some time off are generally doing better in the law school because they're more committed. They've come back. You know, when you come right from undergraduate, um, you know, you're a little tired and you're used to that undergraduate kind of a carefree atmosphere. And I'll tell yeah. you, professional school is much different. It's super serious and hard and it was, a, it was an adjustment, I'm not going to lie, for me. I was always a super great student, and my parents don't even know this story, but I, I think the lowest grade I ever received uh, was probably a B. I was, I was a really good student. Wow. And I get to law school, and my dad was, you know, in the top 10% of his class. My grandfather, I think, was in the top 5% of his class, and I go to law school, and I worked hard, studied hard. There was just a difference in the testing. You, your whole grade was one three-hour exam. That's it. Wow. Yeah, you take it at the end of the semester. It's one three-hour exam, and that's your whole grade. So I studied. I knew the material. I get in there, and uh, I think I nailed them all. Yeah. And then we take a family trip to Israel, my dad, my grandfather, my brother, and I, and you filled out postcards for the teachers then to send you your grades. So I come back from this amazing trip in Israel with my family, and I get my postcards, and it says B, C, C, D. Wow. I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like mortified. I'm like, a D? I mean, you've got to be kidding. And it was had nothing to do with study habits, not knowing mm-hmm. the material. It was just an adjustment to the essay exam where you had to spot the issue and then regurgitate all the information. You yep. knew. I knew all the information, but I didn't take enough time in reading the question to mm-hmm. understand that I should have added this information here, and then that information, and then that information. So what do you do when something like that happens? If you're smart, you go into the professor where you got the D, yeah, and you say to him, what happened? And he said, I know you know the material, but you missed the issues. And then I spent the whole next semester with him looking at exams, making sure I spotted the issues. And then from then on, I was in the top 10 or 15% of my class every semester. But there's only six semesters, so when you when you start off with a with a terrible semester, it, it's hard to come back. But yeah, it's a really good lesson, and one I share when I talk to kids all the time. I'm I'm now spending a lot of time going to colleges, high schools, grade schools, law schools, and talking to kids to try to give back. And I'm not embarrassed to say I got a D in my first uh, my, my yeah. first law school exam because there's nothing wrong with failing, because if you fail 
And then you are committed to learn from the failure to do better. Yep. At the end of the day, you are going to learn so much more from that failure than you ever would if you just would have got an A in, in that first class. And, and that has also helped me carry over with my staff to try to motivate them to let them know, hey, not everything we're going to do, we're going to win. Yeah. Not everything you tell me we should try is going to be a success. Not every person we hire is going to be a winner. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line, if we're not trying and failing, we're not trying hard enough. There you go. Because if you think that everything you try should be successful, you're not willing to work hard enough because you have got to fail to succeed in life. And boy, I've had lots of failures and I'm not afraid to fail. And and that has just taken me so far in my personal life, my professional life. And I think it also is something that my employees can wrap their arms around and feel good about and know if they bring me an idea and we try it and we and it doesn't work, that's not a failure. Yeah. That's information. That's mm-hmm. success. That's trying new things. That's thinking outside the box. And, and that's something... I think a lot of people need to realize in in the age of photoshopping and fake social media and everything, people don't think they can fail or they don't think people fail. Well, we all fail and people that don't talk about it are, are just giving themselves too much credit and, and are not being real or honest. Yeah. Well, I, I, I definitely everything you said, I agree with, you know, uh, failure is a part of life and, you know, you should embrace that. What influenced your passion of law? Uh, of law? Um, at first, as I said earlier, yep. I think it's just because I had family members that were lawyers, but that really doesn't give you any passion because I didn't know what it meant. If I'm being honest, you know, I just looked up to those two people as I was a youngster. So I'm like, huh, well, if they're that, I should be that too. Yeah. And I think my real passion for being a lawyer didn't start until I joined with my partner, Mike Cupy. I did criminal defense for the first year when I yep. graduated from law school. And I, I love that I got into the courtroom right away. I had a trial within two weeks of graduation. Yep. And I was hooked on that experience of being in there and the mental gymnastics and trying to influence those 12 strangers. And, and I'm quick on my feet, and I just love that whole experience. But I wasn't passionate about the clients. Yeah. And I understand that criminal defendants, they're entitled to a defense and they're, they're entitled to good lawyers, great lawyers. And there's mm-hmm. a lot at stake when their liberty is at stake. But if I was being honest, um, I, I didn't feel passionate about representing drunk drivers and drug dealers. For I, sure. I, I couldn't wrap my arm. It's just morality. Yeah. Well, and again, yeah. I'm not trying to act like I'm yeah. so much more moral than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Everyone makes mistakes. But I just I didn't feel passionate about yeah. it. I love the courtroom. So after about a year, I knew. I need to do something different because I wasn't motivated. I was excited about being in the courtroom, but I just, I wasn't motivated to Mm -hmm. continue that. So thankfully uh, I joined with Mike Cupy and his former partner uh, a year later. How how did you guys meet? So Uh, Mike Cupy's former partner, uh, Tom Jacobson was a family friend of mine. Okay. So, um, our, our families knew each other for years and years. Mm-hmm. We would celebrate some of the Jewish holidays together. And so when I wanted to make a move, I, I wanted to be a trial lawyer, and I thought personal injury would be suit my, my passions more. So I called him, and they coincidentally had an opening. But Mike Cupy was the guy running the show here, and so I had to meet with Mike. He knew my former partner, and he hired me. He saw something in me and, and hired me. So that brings me to August of... Um, 1993 I graduated in May of 92 and so I joined here and everything just clicked for me from that moment on my skill set just happened to be suited for a high volume practice I loved the trial work I loved representing injured people I felt amazing about it and to be honest for the for the last 30 years it hasn't even felt like work every day when I come here it's it's I've just been excited about yeah. it. I feel good about it. So I got lucky. Well, it's uh, serious injuries and personal injuries. Yeah, that you so primarily focus. One hundred percent of our focus is on injured people. So if someone has a car accident, a motorcycle accident, a slip and fall, we sue companies that make defective products. We sue companies that make defective drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime someone suffers an injury as a result of the fault of somebody else, that's what we do exclusively. So a hundred percent of our practice is devoted to injured people. 
What's uh what's most important to you when you're representing your client? Uh I think understanding that I work for them. Mm -hmm. And what I try to preach to my younger lawyers and our staff, and I was I was speaking yesterday at the Wisconsin Lutheran College to a legal class, and what I try to impress to them is I look at me at this law firm is no different than an AT&T store, mm -hmm. Target, a restaurant. The only thing that's different is we have professional degrees, but we are in the customer service business. Yes. And if you lose sight of the fact that you're in the customer service business, you're going to lose sight of the fact that these are the client's cases, you work for them, and just because you have a law degree does not make you better. Yeah. It may make you have more knowledge than they have in this arena, but sometimes that knowledge is dangerous. And I know as a young lawyer, mm -hmm. there were times where, I, let's say I got what I would consider an amazing settlement for a client. And I called them up and I said, hey, I just want you to know I killed it. You are getting way more money than anyone else with similar injuries, and I killed it, and you should be so happy. And I kind of tried to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. and, and even with great settlements, sometimes I got pushback from clients when I was younger because I didn't understand that you know, their lives are turned upside down yeah. here. And you need to have a softer sell. You need to lay out the yeah. information. You need to show them A plus B plus C equals D and let them tell you D. Yeah. When you try to tell them D. Yeah. Oh. It, it, Resistant. It, it's, yeah. Resist. Yeah. And so I, I, after getting some negative feedback from clients, not because of the work <coughs> I did, because of the approach. Yeah. And you have, again, you have to learn from those things. How do you know until you're in there? And yeah. how do you know until you do it wrong? But then when you get it and you understand that you work for the clients and then that's how the clients feel. Well, they embrace you and they're happy to be here. And ultimately, I don't care how many William Shatner commercials I run, Judge Brown commercials I run, commercials with myself on TV I run. If you are not enhancing the customer service experience where they leave here and feel good about their representation, you're going to be in trouble because they're going to go out. The studies show that if you have an unhappy client, they're going to tell 15 people you stink. Wow. And if you have a happy client, they expect to be happy. They're only going to tell three or four people that you did a good job. Now, if someone they know asks them where to go, they're going to say, come there. But an unhappy client is out there being way more volatile yeah. than a happy client. And now with social media and all these avenues for people to hide behind reviews and do all these things, boy, if you're going to run a successful business, you have to do it in a way where the, the customer service and understanding – you know, that you work for them. Well, I, I got to say, you do have happy clients. Here's one. UPN Abraham was actually the first one that I thought of. Uh, UPN Abraham was very helpful from beginning to end. In the beginning, they just wanted me to get better. They said, don't worry about the legal matters or anything. My job was to just get better. So that's what I did. You know, and it's, it's testimonies like that that really impact. Um, you know, I, I've always, you know, this is home. So, of course, you want the well-being of everyone that lives at home because, that, I mean, that's a part of the life we live here. Um, what's a case that has defined your career? You know, that's that's a really good question. And, and I have to say it, it's probably a case I dealt with um, where a child um, was riding a Fisher-Price riding Jeep. And you'll see a lot of these at parents' homes with young kids. They're these battery-operated Jeeps that go about two miles an hour, yep. and they run on batteries. Yep. My daughter had one until this happened. And um, they run on, on a brush wire motor under the seat and a battery. And, and if you look all around Wisconsin and all around the country, you see these things in everyone's backyards. They're Barbie-themed. Yep. They're, they're motocross-themed. The they're every, yeah, they're sports-car-themed. They have them all over the place. And they, they really are you know, and uh, I think a, a cool thing. And, and my daughter loved hers. Now, so this goes back maybe 15 years ago. And they marketed one on the box. It said realistic gas cap. And when I tell you the story, it's, it's horrifying, but it really makes no sense for Fisher Price to make one of those cars 
um, and uh, uh, for exactly what happened here. So uh, fast forward, child, three years old, in the backyard, in his Jeep, family inside, getting ready to uh, go on a family trip. They're packing their bags. They're getting ready, and the, the little boy's in a fenced-in backyard riding his Jeep. So battery-operated, battery goes dead, and yeah. the little boy thinks he's going to fix the problem. They have no shed on their property, so underneath their deck, pushed up close to the house, is the family gas can for lawnmowers and everything else gas-related, and the little boy grabs the gas can, goes over to his Jeep, pops off the gas cap, and there's nothing there, and starts trying to pour gas in there like he sees his parents do every day in their vehicle when they stop at the gas station. And then what happens here is, um, and I didn't know this at the time until I got involved in the case, but what starts on fire with gas fires is not the liquid, it's the fumes that start on fire. So there's this brush wire motor under the seat. It's got the copper wires exposed. Gas is all over the child, the car, fumes under the seat. He sits down on the machine, pushes the gas, it sparks, and the whole thing goes up in flames with him on it. So he's on fire on his rear end, his legs, his feet. Uh, The car's on fire. He runs in the house, and every step he took, we had pictures of him burning his feet prints in the carpeting and comes into his parents on fire. Oh, Yeah, it's it's bad. So he's flighted to Children's. They're taken to the Ronald McDonald house, and, and... from my experience, I've had other burn injury cases. You know, burn injury cases are just the worst of the worst. Yeah. They're just so painful, and it's excruciating, and it's terrible. And so um, the family hired me, and uh, this actually happened in Round Lake, Illinois. And since they flighted him to Children's, they found me, and we represented them. And it took us about seven years to get the case to trial we sued Fisher Price, and we also sued the gas can manufacturer for not making a child-resistant closure. And uh, took seven years to get the case to trial. And while we were in trial, we actually got the case settled. There's a confidentiality agreement, so I can't say yeah. what it was, but it was a substantial amount of money that took care of the child for the rest of his life. And the pressure associated with child claims, it just mm-hmm. strikes you a different way. Yeah, because well, your parent. I'm a parent. I, I was a, a parent. I have a three year old. Yeah, right so now. You, and so you saying that or two year old about to be a three year old. He looks like a four year old. <laughs> yeah, but for you to say a story like that, it just you know put yourself in that seat. And it's, it's terrible, un, unimaginable. Yeah, and it came down to there was really no reason to market that thing with a gas cap because if there is no gas cap, there's probably no reason the child grabs a gas can. Yeah. And that's where you hire experts that talk about human factors and why people do what they do. And, you know, the child did what he did there because he sees a gas cap and then he's in the car with his parents going to the gas station. station. So, I mean, that was the first time they had marketed a car with and it said right on the box. I went out and bought like seven of those things and we kept them for trial, you you know, and that's the real gamble also in the risk. I think we we had hundreds of thousands of dollars of our own money in the case, not including our time. And the way these cases work is we only get paid if we win. win. And if we lose, we eat our not only our time, but our expenses. And not that I was worried about the money. I mean, no one wants to lose money. But I just felt a ton of pressure yeah. for what happened to the child. Oh. Well, see, the child is good. Yeah. The, I okay. mean, it's the chi- he'll never be perfect. Nah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, the burns were on his tush, the back of his legs, his feet, nothing on his face. Uh, you know, it's going to be a lifelong problem. For sure. But it could have been. A lot worse than it was. Well, I'm just grateful he's still breathing and he's yeah, still exactly. living life. Um, what in what gives you your motivation and what what type of work ethic would you say you have? You know, um, I would say my motivation now is different than it was for most of my career. Um, my motivation for most of my, my career, which I think allowed me to to be who I am today, was just the hard, extreme hard work and dedication to the clients. Yeah. And back in the day, you know, I handled thousands of files. I've tried 100 cases. I think myself, I've received over $500 million for injured people. And, I, I mean, I just was crazy focused at doing that and running the firm and, and doing what my partner wanted and needed and let me do. And, you know, we expanded this business. We went from one office in Milwaukee to the 
uh, Midwest's biggest personal injury law firm with mm-hmm. 11 offices in three states. So I was extremely motivated about all of that. Then we have COVID. Yeah. And it was crazy. You know, we initially had to lay off some people for a short period of time. And we were a business with no debt, no loans. And I could have never foreseen a circumstance where anything like that could yep. have had to happen, even for a short period of time. And so that was very stressful. Then uh, we got ransomware at that same time. So some hackers from Russia were able to get into our computer system. Wow. And shut down every single computer at all 11 offices. Holy. And then on top of that, uh, I had a client threaten to kill me during oh this God. time. So the office had to be locked down. The police were at my house every night. I had to get a restraining order. And so when you couple COVID with all that craziness, yeah. um, you know, it, it just kind of sucks some of the life out of me. And my passion now is a little bit different. I, my, I still obviously have a passion to help the clients for sure. Mm-hmm. But really, my bigger passion right now is to give back. Yeah, and to go help to go try to motivate others to hear my journey. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I I'm going back to the Lutheran College tomorrow for the second class, and maybe I'll inspire one student. Yeah, to motivate them, not necessarily to be a lawyer, but just to think outside the box, dream big, and reach a potential they otherwise wouldn't. Same thing at a grade school, same thing at a law school. Um, getting involved with a lot of charities and going out and doing things there. And just parlaying the success that I've had as a lawyer. And thankfully, through all the hard work of all of our employees, and let me say this, there is so much luck and timing to your success. And if you want to motivate your people to work hard for you, you damn well better be humble enough to understand that yeah. your success is driven in a huge way by all the people that work for you. Mm-hmm. Because I'm one of 170. Mm-hmm. There's only so much one person can, can do. do. It's very little. And I was lucky enough that Mike Cupy saw something in me and, and hired me. I was lucky enough that he allowed me then to kind of work with him and, and run the firm. And then I was lucky that we had this timing that our model worked and his vision allowed us to expand to go to other markets and that was well received and i was always a big dreamer but i could have never dreamed this big now when you get that luck and timing you have to parlay that with extreme hard work i'm not minimizing the hard work because i worked really hard but i am humble enough to understand that there are a lot of people out there that work as hard as me that um, maybe are smarter than me but they didn't luck into or have good timing to get a job that suited their skill set, their natural yeah. abilities. And, you know, you should be and and can be humble enough to to give uh, the due to some luck and some timing. Yeah. Because if you take all that credit rather than give it to others, how are you inspiring anybody? Yeah. You're really not. Well, work ethic-wise, you seem like he's hard-driven. Oh, I mean, yeah. 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 The fire is in there. Yeah. I mean, the, like anything else in life, after 30-plus years, you know, some of this stuff is is a young person's game, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Michael Jordan, as you talked about earlier, uh, you know, great example. I'm sure at his age, the drive he had, you just can't have the same drive. You're, you're yeah. older. You're tired. Yeah. When I get out of bed every morning, I feel like I'm 25. When I'm in here with my marketing team and – you know, Eric is in here filming some of the stuff we got going on. And and when we do some stuff, I get in here, my mind tells me I'm 25. Yeah. But when I get out of bed in the morning, my body <laughs> says, Jason, you're 55. <laughs> you know, and the creeks are here and uh, my knees don't work the same. But, uh, you know, I think having a young mind is helpful. But, you know, I, I still have a lot of drive. It's just I think it's natural to say yeah. after 30 years of grinding it, killing it, loving it, uh, being passionate about it, you ju- you just can't keep that up forever. Well, through that too, you know that it pays off in the end. And you you've received a lot of awards for you and your law firm. Um, you mind just naming naming? Oh a God, f- yeah. I mean, a few or yeah. You know, I mean, we're list. we're AV rated, which is the highest rating any law firm can get. I think some of the things I'm most proud of is we're voted best workplace yeah. consistently, best and brightest. 
Um, you know, my a lot of my partners and I are members of the multi-million dollar advocates forum, the million dollar advocates forum, meaning we've we've won awards in cases of greater than $2 million, greater than a million dollars. But I, I think one of the things to be most proud of is is just our Google reviews, right? And why am I most proud of that? Because that's your that's your bread and butter clients yep. that on their own, they don't have to do it. They're out there saying, boy, at the end of the day, I had something terrible happen to me, and I'm so happy that I hired Hubie and Abraham. Keep in mind, no one leaves here at the end of the day and says, God, am I happy this accident happened to me. Yeah. And why is that? Well, the system is not set up to pay people, overpay people to make them happy about the accident. If I have clients getting millions of dollars, I can assure you, Xavier, none of us want what they got to yeah. get the millions of dollars. Yeah. And if you have a client that goes to the doctor for a month and gets a couple thousand dollars, they're not happy about that either, right? Because it wasn't worth the inconvenience, mm-hmm. their car getting fixed, the time off of work. And so at the end of the day, no one's real happy with what happened to them. Mm-hmm. But if they feel respected, yes, if they feel like you took enough time with them, if they feel like you had empathy towards their situation, and at the end of the day, they feel like the, their customer service experience meet and or exceeded their expectations, you you really can't do more as a business. It's crazy. It's crazy the way that all goes. It is, and you got to have that customer service mindset. And yeah. I'm grateful because when I started with Mike Cupy as a young lawyer, as I said earlier, thought he knew everything and didn't know anything. You know, thankfully I had him, and and he had the customer service yeah. mind. You know, and so, um, you know, that was huge for me because I saw that in him. He's 76. I'm 55. I had a mentor. He was very business-minded, and so that was extremely helpful for everything moving forward and to show me the the way to go. And then we've just taken that together, you know, to an unbelievable level. Awesome. You're part of the Wisconsin State Bar. Yep. Yep. That's that's an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, you you have to be if you're going to be a lawyer here. Uh, I'm also... I've been a member of the Trial Lawyers Association. Mm-hmm. I've been on the board of directors. I'm not on the board of directors now. And, you know, I think it's just important just to give back. And, you know, it's exciting, you, you know, to show younger people, younger lawyers. Um, I used to put on seminars where they would talk about legal issues. I used to get involved in that kind of stuff when I was younger and had fun with that. And, you know, I, I just love public speaking. I love Mm-hmm. You know, trying to help other people and and, and and everything I've done in my career is just suited uh, w- what I enjoy doing. Awesome. In what ways have you uh, worked to give back to the community? Oh, boy. I mean, that is probably the legacy Mike and I will be most proud of here is what we've done to give back. I'd say in the last five years or so, we've we've given over a million dollars. In the Wisconsin Business Journal, they list the top givers of money and or your company time to do things. And, you know, we're a small business that started in Milwaukee. Yeah. And in that list, I can't remember the number we were this year, but it may have been either high 20s or low 30s. And, you know, we're up against the Miller Brewings, the Potawatomi, all these huge corporations, and we're extremely proud about that. We also give our employees eight hours of volunteer time that we pay for them to go out and volunteer wow. to make our communities a better place. Hupy happenings. Hupy happenings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just we also do these contests all the time and and I never realized how impactful the contests will be and and I'll explain to you how we do them and I would encourage any business that's listening to your podcast to do things like this cuz this has really touched me in ways that I had no idea I would be touched. So we say that we are going to allow the general public to nominate charities of their choice yes and then they'll win a cash prize from Hubie and mm-hmm. abraham and we've done that two three times a year and then the public nominates the charities they want yeah and then the public votes on them and then whoever are the highest vote getters win cash prizes from us and it is amazing some of the organizations that have won because they then inspire their loyal following to go out and vote, yep. whether it be pet rescues, 
homeless warming shelters, people that feed the homeless. Um, it could be Make-A-Wish, Feeding America, a million different things. And I have had the ability to meet the most lovely, caring people that I would have never had the opportunity to meet a, a dog rescue group in the Racine Kenosha area. They won and they used the money to buy a dog wash and they were just so fantastic. A group called Street Angels in Milwaukee, two women that founded that were working at a warming shelter in the winter for homeless people and they developed this uh, big van that they go out four nights a week, maybe five, and they're feeding homeless people, providing sanitary products, clothes, shoes, blankets, Bless socks. And them. we went out, my team and I, one night with them. And I'm telling you, it was so humbling yeah. and so sad. And to watch the respect that the homeless people had for the street angels and the street angels had for the homeless people. I left there that night and my whole marketing team and I, we went out uh, to get uh, something to eat after because we hadn't eaten. And it made us all feel so inadequate. Yeah. And we do so much. And I left that meeting saying, I will be doing more. I will be doing more for Street Angels. I will be doing more. And it just showed you where two amazing women that decided with families, jobs, everything else in their life, that they wanted to make the city of Milwaukee a better place by by filling this little niche. Are they still? They are. They're still doing their yeah, work. It's crazy how well, amazing they are. Well, uh, please. Uh, after, well, let's uh, let's yeah. get their interview. Let's get their yeah, story. Yeah, they are. They are <laughs> two um, amazing women. That's awesome. Doing amazing things. So I have met uh, just passionate people, whether it be as I said pets, homeless people, whatever. Yep. And it's just been great for me to go around because these people are behind the scenes. Yeah. They're small little organizations that no one would know anything about. But there's so many people out there doing great things in mm -hmm. this city and other cities that if you if you don't allow yourself to branch out, try new things as a business, give more money, do more things, um, you just never see all this stuff that's going on. Yeah. Well, in in part, you know, that that type of inspiration. You also run a podcast. I do. I'm going to play it real quick. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Tell Them You Mean Business, a podcast created by Midwest personal injury law firm, Hupy and Abraham. This podcast will feature stories and events from the community, insights and rider resources from motorcyclists, and will also serve as a way for listeners to ask questions about personal injury lawsuits. I am your host, Jason Abraham, personal injury attorney and one of the owners here at Hupy and Abraham, and this is Tell Them You Mean Business. Yeah, man. That, well, that that right there, and I've listened uh, um, a couple of your, your episodes, and I'm a fan. Scott Sconson, you even talked to Donald Driver. Yeah, Donald, thankfully, is a, it happens to be a good friend of mine. I I met him, and he's one of the greatest humans I've ever known. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I really cherish that relationship. But let, let me explain to you, the podcast is a great example yeah. of hiring really exciting, energetic people, and all of a sudden you've got a podcast. So uh, one of my marketing team members, Audrey, uh, recently got her master's, and when we hired her, uh, she said to the marketing director, I think we should start a podcast. Yes. And we were like, let's do it. And I think one of the things I've always done uh, as the managing partner of the firm is I encourage my staff to think outside the box, bring ideas, because if you give this warm envi environment of allowing people to be creative, yeah, you are going to be handsomely rewarded yeah. as a business. If you micromanage your people, you will never see their true potential, yep. and you will never allow your business to get the most from its most important asset, which are your employees. So Audrey said two years ago, I think we should do a podcast, and we've done it, and I love it. Um, I, I, I think it's so fun. I've met so many interesting people. Yeah. And just like you, I was so excited to be on your podcast because I, I just think it's a great way for people to get to know people in 
in, you know, in a, in a quick half hour, hour segment, you just get to learn a lot about some really interesting people. And we've had a ton of fun. And my whole marketing team, when I see them together, they're excited, they're energetic, because they know that when they come up with uh, an idea, Ideas. it's going to be embraced by me. And again, if we try something and it doesn't work, there's no hard feelings. There's no, we're just excited to yeah. try it. When when uh, Blythe, one of our marketing team, said on our podcast for Halloween, we should have Gosconson on there. I just seen her in an ad, and I would have never known had I not watched the, uh, you got the interview on YouTube. I would have never connected that. Um, had I not watched your interview last night and there was an ad for voting and it's her doing something like this, but yeah. ultimately to get you to go out and vote. And yeah. that's pretty cool. She is so <laughs> interesting and lovely. Um, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Uh, I am on TikTok. I'm not going to be embarrassed to say I'm on TikTok, but yeah. I, I have never really looked into paranormal or anything, but Blythe and my marketing team, who's amazing, like all my team, she was a follower of Gosconson, and she had over a hundred. She has over a hundred thousand followers yeah. on TikTok, and her story is so interesting because her whole thing started. She had her her mother enjoyed paranormal stuff. She enjoyed it growing up. She then is in college, and I may get some of this wrong, but I don't think I think I've got it right. She goes to Quick Trip, and she's a vegan. Okay. Okay. And she goes in to buy non-dairy milk. And so she buys non-dairy milk at Quick Trip, you know, Quick Trip of Wisconsin staple. Oh, yeah. And uh, she <laughs> grabs the milk, pays for it, and comes out, and the first ingredient listed is dairy. Yeah. And her thought is, well, how did I buy non-dairy milk and the first ingredient is listed as dairy? dairy. <laughs> so she does a TikTok <coughs> and has over a million views. Wow. So she says to herself, if I can get a million views yeah. on a video about non-dairy milk at Quick Trip, why not try a TikTok about my passion, paranormal? That's awesome. And she just decides in her early 20s yep. to, to do a TikTok about something that she's passionate about. She decides to go for it, and she's doing this amazing job. Now, who knows how far this will go for her, but I'll tell you, a hundred over a hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Yeah. That is amazing. And she is so fun, so passionate. I enjoyed that interview so much. I knew nothing yeah. about it. I follow her now and I love watching her stuff. And I think the thing I love the most is seeing someone be passionate about something yep. and deciding to take a leap and going for it. That's and you know what? That's what makes this country great. And, and uh, I said this again yesterday at the Lutheran College, you know, you, you've got to just go for it in life. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, in the last year, um, I've seen, I've rediscovered who I am. Yeah. And I've gone after what I'm passionate about. I've always been able to, you know, stand in a room, not be shy. I could captivate the attention, but um, it's something more of a superpower that I've had and being able to conversate and just have a back and forth and really get to know people to yeah. their core so you know when i started this podcast it was there was a lot of changes um i, I made a year of no um alcohol this uh yesterday Amazing. no no sunday congratulations sunday. oh yeah but um through that it's finally replacing old habits with new habits and and the stories and the journeys i've heard they're so rewarding it's so rewarding and and you know seeing you know, or that, that type of success she has, seeing the success you have on your podcast, um, you know, it's it's inspiring and just trying to drive forward with that. You are a sports fan. Love sports. And you love your Bucks. I love my Bucks, my Packers, my Brewers. I love yep. them. Uh, well, talking uh, primarily, you followed the finals run. You were there at every game. I was. Um you actually had an extraordinary moment where you you have courtside tickets, right? I do. I share them. And you got pushed into what I would call a legendary historical moment. Yeah, right after the Bucks won the championship in game six, I was 
next to Giannis within 10 seconds of the game being over, and we're kind of there together arm in arm, and he's crying, and it was just a crazy, crazy yeah. moment. It was it was actually uh, that run with the Bucks uh, was one I, I thought I would never see in my lifetime, actually, kind of a small market team again, having the ability to compete. It was an amazing run. You know, twice during that run, they were down 2 nothing, yep. and, you know, they beat some really, really good teams, and the games were exciting, and Milwaukee was so energetic, yeah. and the Deer District was crazy. and That's part of the inspiration of this podcast, yeah. seeing Milwaukee that way so together. Like You know, and it looks so good, you know, on the broadcast to see 60,000 people in the Deer District mm -hmm. with relatively no issue at all. Um, was really amazing. I mean, mm -hmm. I thought Milwaukee, rightfully so, just looked amazing during that that whole time, mm -hmm. and the run was exciting. And uh, yeah, it, it it just was it was crazy, crazy good. So, but being right there next to him yeah. and just well, where he sat, were those your seats? Because I know you have it right next to the for that run because of COVID. Are yeah. are the seats uh, moved? Okay, and uh, we were more on the side because they wouldn't allow you that close to the bench where our yep. normal tickets are, and so uh, yeah, so that so once you know the game ended, I just ran right into yeah. the middle uh, to be part of the uh, action. You, know, you got to be willing to go for it just a little <laughs> bit, and uh, so I just went for it, and uh, it was just it was just so surreal to, yeah. to see it happen and to to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Um, you are very invested in the motorcycles. We are. That was a niche that my partner started, Mike Hupe, and that was going on. He he got involved with the biker community really early, and so it, it's a group that we care immensely about. A lot of us are riders. I'm a rider, yeah. and so we have represented almost five thousand injured bikers. And uh, so it's a niche, and it, it's something we're very, very passionate about. Because unfortunately, yeah. when motorcyclists are involved in accidents, you know those accidents are pretty serious. Yeah. Well, let's hear a testimony. I'm Vicki Sanfilippo, founder of the Bystander Assistance Program, a crash course for the motorcyclists. We've trained nearly 50,000 bikers how to reduce injuries and fatalities in motorcycle crashes. None of this would have been possible without the ongoing financial support from the law offices of Hupe and Abraham. A lot of lawyers claim to be involved in bikers' rights, but few lawyers have done as much for bikers as Hupe and Abraham. If you've been in an accident, call the lawyers who understand that as bikers, we take care of each other. Call 800-800-5678. Hupe and Abraham, right now. And with that, you know, you have William Shatner. Not only him, you have this guy. <laughs> I'm TV's Judge Joe Brown, and it's time we talked. Talked about the insurance company. Their job is to pay you as little as possible for your injury. Tell the insurance company you mean business. And you know, with that, you know, um, you have a lot to be proud of, man. We do. And, you know, we take the position that you have to invest in yourself and invest in your business if you truly want to be successful. And as uh, we decided to expand, we said to ourselves, as we're going into markets where people may not know who we are, you know, why not have some, you know, pay to have some famous people out there touting your name? Because if you're going to go into a community where somebody's been for 20 years and you haven't been, but you know you're going to be successful and you know you're going to provide great customer service, in order to get people to think about you, you really got to be willing to spend money. And, you know, back then when we had Judge Joe Brown and, and William Shatner and we're expanding and moving into new markets and new states, you know, those guys were instrumental to get clients to take us seriously because rightfully so, they had to say to themselves, These, this business must be good at what they do Yeah. if they can afford to pay these people yeah. to be touting their name. And that's exactly what we wanted. And, and without them... I don't think we would have been able to make the impact we've made around the Midwest. And so, you know, we are just so grateful for them and everyone else that's been spokespeople uh, for us. But, you know, we've never been afraid to spend money to make money, and and uh, we, we've been handsomely rewarded for that. Man. And, you know, it, th that being said, it, it's it's like I said, you're such a – you're so embedded into the community. I mean, I, I'm telling you, since I was a kid, I've seen – 
commercials. Yeah. I've seen the ads, like heard the ads. Like it's you're you're one of the, it's almost as if you're mysterious because everyone always wonders like, well, they hear the name and they see the commercials. Who are these guys? Who are these guys? You know, the thing I think I am most proud of in my legal career is the mission statement that Mike had uh, when I started with him. And it said, we're going to give back to the community based on our successes. And we have done just that. Mm -hmm. There are other lawyers in Milwaukee and every city that we practice in that have really good lawyers, that spend money on TV, that have good practices. But there isn't anybody that does what we do mm -hmm. in the communities that we practice in to make the communities a better place. And it's something we're proud of, my employees are proud of, and something we tout because we want the clients to understand that because of the success we've had, because they've hired us, we're making our communities a better place. And being a good, a great, a fabulous corporate citizen, that means something. Yeah. You know, and it can't just be about lining your own pocket. If it is, you are missing out on so much. Well, it's creating that legacy. It you is, know? you know, and it's a legacy. I know Mike and I, uh, as, as you know, we're going to be retiring before all the other partners. You know, it's something that I know he'll cherish. It's something when I retire, I'll cherish. And it is. It's that legacy of leaving the communities a better place after what we've done in our career. And, and that is something to really be proud of. Awesome. So advice. Advice for aspiring law students coming up. In. Yeah, I would say um, be passionate. Try to find a job, and this is very difficult. Try to find a job that suits your innate abilities. We all have certain things that we're good at, that we're born with, that we may do better than, than others. And, it, and it's, we're all going to have to work hard to get to the end result we want. But if you can find out what your innate abilities are that you just are given, you know, some people may be a better pitcher. Some people may be better at multitasking. Some people can see a big picture. Whatever it is, try to figure out what your innate abilities are and then try to think through what career, what choice of law would suit those innate abilities. Because if, if you do luck into that or find that, it'll give you a leg up just yeah. to start. And then what you have to do is you have to dream big. Yeah. You can't think small because if you think small, you'll be small. You got to dream big and then you'll have the chance to be big. But also you have to realize, and I've told every young lawyer that worked for me, I never spent five seconds of time hoping that someone that was ahead of me yeah. failed, thinking that that would help me succeed. So many people in today's world are envious, jealous, hoping other people fail because we're in this Photoshop, this fake world, this fake social media. If you spend 10 or 15% of your time hoping something bad happens to someone that's above you or hoping they fail, that 10 or 15% of time you could spend on yourself, yeah. separating yourself and, and making yourself indispensable. Everyone that was above me when I joined with Mike told me Mike would never make anyone a partner. And I took the position, well, I'm going to make myself indispensable. And then if, if that time comes and then I'm not a partner, then I'll take my services somewhere else. Yeah. But if you make yourself indispensable, then you force someone to make you a partner, right? Because they realize, I don't want to be without that person. Yeah. So don't hope anyone else fails. Don't waste your time with negative energy. Spend it all, 100% of your time on your success. Build up other people. Motivate other people. Understand, you're not getting anywhere in life without the help of others. Yeah. Because you have a law degree, that doesn't mean squat. Yeah. You are going to need the help of all the people, the paralegals, the legal assistants, the receptionist, the support staff. It's a team. It's a team. And I, I see a fair amount of people um, that they think they're bigger and smarter and more powerful than everyone else because you have the degree. And, yeah, you got the degree, and you should be proud of that degree. 
but you're not getting anywhere without the help of other people. And the earlier you understand that, the better off you are. So dream big, be kind, and just work hard. And with that, you have a chance for success. There's nothing guaranteed in life. Uh, but if, if you do those things, I think you got a fighting chance. With that being said, Jason, I appreciate you so much um, for being a part of this mission. Yeah, I just want to say to you, you know, when you said it's a year sober, no alcohol, you should be so proud. I, I love this podcast. I love that you have turned things around for yourself and decided, I want to do this for me. I want to showcase the city I'm proud of. And you're using this as a tool to keep yourself motivated and do better and do all this stuff. And, you know, I just want to tell you from someone that's, you know, been doing this for 30 years, you should really be proud. It's exciting. Yeah. You're going to only keep killing it and keep being motivated. And I think the thing you'll love the most is getting to meet just some really great people doing great things and it'll motivate you even more. I know meeting you is motivating me to do yeah. more. Meeting others is motivating me to do more. So congratulations. And I'm super excited to watch your growth. Well, I appreciate that, um, you know, and I'm going to keep pushing forth with this message. And, you know, you being a leading example, um, I just want you to know I, I'm I'm grateful. And uh, with that being said, um, thank you again. Let's uh, have this as your outro. You, you ready? Yes. Cupy and Abraham has been voted best by the public year after year. Now, top media outlets have rated them Best personal injury law firm. You only have one opportunity to call the best. Cupy and Abraham. I got almost $4 million. 800000 If you've been injured in an accident, tell them you mean business. Call Cupy and Abraham, 800-800-5678, and get their win or its free guarantee.